Yo, how are you doing, folks? Welcome to episode one of the Simple Life podcast. We have today not just one, but two very special guests joining myself and Mr. Wizard over here, Macro Ramsey. Hello, I hope you're all doing very well this evening. <laughs> or this morning, whatever time of day or place you're listening to this. Um, as I say, the guests that are going to be joining us today are uh, the founder and the, well, as I'm terming him, the lead researcher of Seed Our Future, um, possibly one of the most promising anti-prohibition campaigns, um, frankly, ever, as far as I have seen. The document that they have just released today is one of the most concise narratives I have ever seen uh, that compiles the history of prohibition and very articulately and um, sensibly lays out exactly how we've got to where we are today and shows that there is zero foundational evidence for any of the laws that prohibit our access to cannabis. So with that in mind, without further ado, I'll pass you over to CDAR Future founder, Guy Coxtell, to introduce himself. Thanks very much, Simba. Really pleased to be here. Uh, it's been quite a busy day, um, sending lots of emails to the police. Uh, so yeah, I, I founded Seed Our Future, but it's been a team effort. Uh, it's it's been quite a roller coaster over the, after the last year, especially with coronavirus and everything, because we did do some uh, uh, um, protests earlier in the year, and that was a bit difficult, hitty missy. We were planning on doing more, but it's just getting a little bit too difficult. So we thought we'd use the pen instead and a bit of intellect, and just put it all down on paper and use a different strategy. Beautiful, beautiful. Well put. Um, I can put sort of a little caveat to that. Uh, I actually ran, obviously, the northern event of uh, what was then Seed the Future. Um, yeah, it was a very difficult event to organise because we were still just coming out of the height of COVID. We were in sort of that interesting period between, I suppose, termed wave one and wave two. But um, yeah, generally people were afraid, which is all the more of a kind of poetic irony in the fact that the research that's now coming to light showing that cannabinoids can be protective and can help treat um, the ailments and symptoms that arise from COVID. Yeah. So um, next up we have Mr. Trev Coleman, someone you may have seen me very a uh, few times before in the past, uh, riling up a lot of people, quite often usually police officers or people in authority. <laughs> um, Trev, as I've, I've mentioned before, is who I would say is the lead researcher on this. Trev has been the cornerstone of knowledge for me for years now has been a constant source of inspiration and is has stuck to his guns since day one has said that this is wrong and now with the help of the rest of the team at seed our future have proven this this is all now in paper it's all documented in the un the world health organization various uh, state and legislative organizations around the world and we've compiled it together in this document so with that in mind trev would you mind uh, introducing yourself and telling us a little about um your input into seed our future uh, yes, um, as you say, Trev Cullum, I started off with Teesside Cannabis Club in the um, reform movement. Um, I haven't been with them for a couple of years now, but during my meetings with um, Ron Hogg, one of the things I decided to do was to research the charges that everybody goes through when they get busted. And the one thing I went looking for more than anything else was the Schedule 1 evidence. Now, I spent about three weeks going through pretty much every government website I could to try and find it. And when I couldn't find it, I went to Durham Police and I asked them to direct us to it. It was Ron Hogg that I talked to. Now, when I asked him if he could direct us to that, um, that evidence, he said he couldn't. When I asked him why not, he told me because it doesn't exist. 
when I pointed out that surely if there's no evidence to back up the charges and somebody asked for that evidence in court, the CPS couldn't provide it, surely the case would collapse. And he agreed with us. And that's basically the case that see the future of taken up. Um, it's taken it, our. as uh, our case, yes. As um, Guy has just said, it, it has been a team effort. I mean, it's yeah, the, the case has effectively been mine from the start, sort of thing. But it's taken Steve Harrison from Flora Fusion, an Australian, to translate my Jordy gibberish into a legible sort of gibberish for the posh Geordie guy Coxall to sort out for all of us lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> very Cheers, true. Trevor. Very, very true, Trevor. Very true. Yes, he is a posh Geordie. <laughs> so how many people total do you think have been involved in this? Oh, um, Joel, I mean, I, you've got uh, Phil Monk, obviously from WTU. You've, as I say, you've got Steve Harrison from Flora Fusion, Ola Campbell from Ireland, um, Chris Tasker, who I think, I don't, I don't know if he's from Global Cannabis Solutions. Um, there's various other people. It's Mandy Tosk as well. She's been really helpful. Yeah, Varen Marshall, all the rest. I mean, there's been a Scott. Over the last year, between me and Guy, I mean, we've been working with the likes of the Irish Ham Farmers Association, Scottish, pretty much across every business we can think of, and we're just pushing this case all the time, and it's finally starting to get to the point where people are taking it up. Well, it's... it's... Go on. Uh, sorry, I was just going to say, it's actually now at a point where we have a proven, tested case of acquittal, do we not? Yes, we do. Um, there was one of the, there was a guy down in Wales who um, his anonymity because I'm not sure if he's wanting to go public with it. Yeah, no room problem. Um, he actually uh, contested on the controlled status of cannabis within the UK, and the CPS uh, um, acquitted him because they couldn't offer evidence of that. No evidence, no crime, eh? Exactly. It's as simple as that. That's it, it, there's no shit. You think about. It, I mean, between the report that guy has done and that acquittal, we've managed to We've managed to screw two thirds of the charges. So your schedule one is out the window, and your controlled status is out the window. All they've got is misuse. So prove misuse. Well, as, as we had a conversation with the uh, lovely two gentlemen from uh, Northumbria Police who turned up to see uh, the future <laughs> event, they couldn't prove misuse. There is, it is an impossibility. It's a misnomer. Um, exactly. inter interestingly enough, I suppose there's another case, which again will keep the individual's anonymity. Um, I imagine they will want to go public once the uh, decision is made. But there is obviously somebody using the basis of this case and the basis of this um, document as their defence for driving under the influence? Actually, there's about half a dozen people using this case now. Excellent. So uh, is the person that I have in mind first and foremost? Just one. No, she's, she's, she wasn't even the first. There's two CBD shop owners in, um, in Northern Ireland who are using it. Um, it's a great effect, actually. One of them scared the uh, life out of the PPS. Are, over are, are they using it for driving, <laughs> driving under the influence? No, 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 no. Just as def um, defense right. for possession and supply, because of whether it was CBD shop owners. Yeah. No, I just wanted to for the listeners. There's... I just, I just wanted to to, to separate yeah. out between them so that they have an idea right. of how how diverse of a tactic that this really is. It it disempowers 
possession, it disempowers cultivation, it disempowers distribution. It, there is no crime now attached to cannabis. Oh, yeah, if I they mean, take uh, this document into consideration. Yeah, I mean, there, there is a part in the in um, the ladies' charges that you're talking about where they point to oh, Section 5A of the Misuse of Drugs Act 1971. So, okay, then. That's what you claim. Can I? Can you now back that up when we've given you evidence that you can't? So is the argument of defence then made that um, because the foundational evidence of the scheduling is fraudulent, therefore that it can't stand? So you can't be in um, contravention of a rule by saying that you're under the influence if the thing you're under an influence for isn't illegal. Exactly. Right. So again, That's I just wanted, I wanted to clarify for the listeners. Yeah, I mean... Um... Again, it all, it, called, it all comes down to, to evidence. They're saying that stone drivers are a danger on the road, yet American um, insurance companies are putting trackers into the cars of medical marijuana users and finding that they're safer than sober drivers. Yeah, it's, is- it, it, it's completely arbitrary, which is a violation of Article 9 of fundamental human rights. That's UN human rights, not the EU ones that we may be losing. We are still signatories to the UN, so we need still have those human rights no matter what. Is there an in- incoming decision supposed or scheduled for December by the UN to make some sort of global decision on it's Canada? The U- UN Council of Drug uh, Council of Narcotics, I think, is, Narcotic Drugs is sitting to yeah the debate. Is, it, is this one second and third of December? Is that right? Is that, is that right? But I, 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 was, yeah. I, I was told there's a chance I might be going to that the other night. It would be very interesting if this document could be presented to the individuals there because the current rumours the, the current rumours that are coming out at the minute uh, are suggesting that the Americans may end up shitting all over this reform because they wanted to go harder on uh, the KT caps. Whereas if a document like this nullifies and makes their arguments moot because ultimately... They don't need to reform a legislation that is fraudulent, that is effectively institutional terrorism. Exactly. I mean, uh, this I, I've already been told that this is with at least three U.S. lobbyists, one with a um, some major hemp association, and with two who are at the White House uh, daily. Excellent, excellent. It's good to see that the uh, the team of individuals that you've managed to accrue between you. Um, have, have really distributed this, and it's 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 a, a testament to the UK cannabis community to see how far and wide that this is is going in the short time that it has actually been available to the public. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Again, you can, th- you can thank Steve Harrison and Guy and uh, Guy Cox all for that because it's taken them to translate my Jordy gibberish, so you lot can all understand it. Good job, <laughs> good job on posh, eh? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, what would you see as Oh, oh, your camera's gone, buddy. Interesting. Uh, We're going to have technical issues. Keep talking. I'll, I'll be back. I'll just go into the UN vote a little bit more because um, I, I, I actually attended, uh, I was in Vienna for the first one. I think it was uh, November 2018. And um, it didn't happen in, in the end. Uh, but I went to a nice conference there um, and it was supposed to happen again in March this year and it was cancelled. I've got, actually got evidence of the European Commission, the European government, uh, who actually tried to stop the vote. Uh, instead of allowing all 27 EU states in voting 
uh, within this. They were all signatories of the UN. Um, they pushed for a single vote to not vote at all, in, unless it was going to make a change, which was an oxymoron in itself. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, I, I'm not <laughs> going to the December vote, whether it even happened this time, because it will be the third time. And uh, they're only going to look at rescheduling to maybe schedule three, schedule four, something like that. You've got, you know, diets, uh, you know, all sorts of harmful drugs in schedule four, schedule five, which are much more harmful than cannabis. Uh, you know, we're not going to stand for that. We need it to be completely removed from all drug scheduling, ideally globally. Well, uh, if we look at obviously the document that you guys have created from the uh, roadmap effectively from the first opioid convention in 25 through uh, 55, what became the 61 convention, the 71 convention, the 88 convention, they've just stacked shit on top of shit on top of shit. So it just shows us that anytime they sit to reform this, all they're ever seeking to do is control an illegal monopoly, it would seem. Because if you look at the 88 convention, that was literally just about international dealing. They weren't trying to communicate about the harms the so-called harms of drugs what they were trying to do was control international trade so they got their cut whereas the argument for this if this is actually taken up on the united nations level and they destroy effectively this convention um that means all party states have to try and figure this out because the basis for that if it's proven as we've proven now in uk courts that there is no foundation there this can't be enforced anywhere without it being considered fraud and terrorism yeah, that's a, but that's exactly what the war on drugs and the war on drugs is. This this isn't a conspiracy theory, though. it's a conspiracy fact because we can prove it because there's court records and contracts and all the rest of it since 1937. Yeah, well, I think it's it's a wonderful thing that we we sit here on the precipice of such great change because there are thousands, tens of thousands of people that have came before us, of activists from all around the world that have fought this, that have spoke of these same ideas but have not managed to articulate and, and managed to um, move it into this, into this position so that it can be, as you said, understood, Trev, as it, is, it can be translated to the common tongue. And I think that it, what we're going to see over the coming weeks and months, hopefully, is the establishment really get their fucking heads around this, because if they don't, they're liable for this. Well, yeah, that's, uh, that's, it, Wayne. that's the great thing about Guy Coxall's strategy, you see. Because what he's been done is been a right sneaky git he sent out a legal notice along with our with the, the CEDA future document to each and every PCC and chief of police in the country. When they receive that, that legal notice makes each of them personally liable. Now, Guy, I'm going to let you tell them about the, the next part for November 5th. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, we thought uh, the police are the low-hanging fruit. We've always been the low-hanging fruit till now. Um, but now that we know that we can actually challenge the law and we can actually even, you know, send the police to the criminal justice system, um, you know, we thought it's best to focus on the police first. Plus, it gives them a chance to respond, you know. We, you know, there, there are good police out there who, who come into it for good reasons, for good ethics. And, you know, we don't want to just hit them all hard straight away. Give them the information, give them that we're basically doing the due diligence for them that they're supposed to do as per PACE code G. So because we've served this information to them, they have no excuse. There's no reason that any police officer should even attempt to make any arrests in regard to at least possession or uh, home cultivation of cannabis. Um, so once we've dealt with that, we've 
pretty much created what we would call a discretionary decriminalization by the police. So once we've calmed the police down and stopped them enforcing it, then yeah, as uh, Trev said there, November the 5th, we thought it would be quite a good day. My name's Guy. We're basically going to send a truth bomb into Parliament. <laughs> so what we're planning on doing is hitting every MP, uh, the Home Office, Pretty Patel, the, uh, the Secretary of State, the General Attorney, everyone with this information, <laughs> Forrest as well, you know, send this information and get them to respond. Because at the end of the day, it's misconduct in public office or all of them. They're essentially a terrorist organisation and we've got the proof of it. So we, we want them to respond. And ideally, we want we really want to respond before Christmas of them saying they're going to remove it, an announcement that they're going to remove it from all drug scheduling, including the 1971 Misses of Drugs Act. Well, as, as is pointed out by the absolute... Sorry, did you have a question then, Marco? No, I'm sure you're probably going to cover it. You go first. Um, I was going to say that the, the 71 convention then, by definition, wouldn't be able to stand because, as I pointed out to Trev before, this defence doesn't just work for cannabis. It, it, it works for most of the scheduled substances, apart from maybe heroin is slightly different because of diamorphine and the uh, the medicinalization of that. Schedule two, it meets schedule two medicinal benefits, but a high propensity for abuse. Yeah, so there is still a mechanism to have community supply, regulated supply, remove adulterants. Yeah, no. effect effect. Alcohol and tobacco, they meet the criteria for schedule one. But yeah. yeah, but unfortunately, we, we yeah, but we live in a world of a free choice. We live in a world where I, I truly believe in my heart of hearts that education and information means that we can jump out of planes, that we can climb mountains, we can scuba dive, we can get in submarines, we can do all kinds of things that on paper are stupid, seriously dangerous, far more dangerous than taking half of these substances. Yep. Yet because of informed consent and then because of individual responsibility, you're allowed to undertake that action. I just wanted to, uh, I pulled out my notes because there's something that you, you missed before there, Guy, for November 5th, the end of Guy's um, press statement that went out attached to the document today, it was wonderful. It just, it ended with, remember, remember the 5th of November, truth, unity, and pot. And I, I just thought that was just, that was just on point. We had a conversation with Trevor about it last night and um, he said, gunpowder gun suits well. And we were like, actually it does because you can make gunpowder from cannabis roots. Well, that's where that's where the original fireworks came from. Mm. Chinese, it was the Chinese that were making the gunpowder for the fireworks. Well, we're uh, just we're just to make it clear, we're not going to blow up Parliament. Yeah, okay? that's what no, we're no, going to point that out just for a disclaimer because you used the word hit and then you know listed a number of MPs and then said terrorists. I was like, you know what? So he takes that out of context. We're yeah, but, for we're the, not <laughs> organization. We have no intention of causing any harm. Uh, however, uh, however, I am looking forward to the day that we do have a V for Vendetta moment and everybody walks on the damn place. <laughs> I can't can't say we're, we're that far away. But yeah, make make a note of whatever time loop this is, so we can put something up on the screen at this moment and say, "See, our future is not a terrorist organization. They're not affiliated with." <laughs> <laughs> Not affiliated with the government. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose, but by definition, actually, if you look at the way they're expanding powers recently, um, as me and Trevor were again discussing yesterday, they're leaning heavy on left-wing organisations. They're considering us, the left reformists far more uh, radical and dangerous than a lot of the, quite frankly, open fascism we're seeing in, in the right-wing 
Um, well, to a point where I'm, I'm almost certain that there is a, a left-wing uh, adventure racing, which is like a triathlon-based club of people that are on the watch list. Do you, do you remember this story about this? There was like three or four of these organizations, and I'm like going, a bunch of cyclists are had uh, radicalized intentions because of the activity that they did, which is like running down mountains and stuff like that, because it wasn't normal. It wasn't normal thinking. So fuck you go over there to the watch list. It's fucking nuts. Anyway. It's, I mean, come on, they're, they're the extremists when you're, and they're putting everything out there for us. What, what they are is economic extremists. You know, they're, they're, there can be no other way of doing things apart from capitalism. There can be, everything's going to be, don't, I'm sick of this left-wing, right-wing argument. I really, I genuinely don't think it's that. I just think it's right and wrong. It should, it, should, that, it should be, but far too many things that are right and wrong are politicized. If you think about the argument we're having currently about feeding school children, the fact uh, that we have, we have to have conversations about homelessness. Do you know what I mean? It's it's well, that's it's again, but this 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 all has its roots in economics. It's economic eugenics. Well, it's disaster capitalism, as you often like to phrase it. Yeah, disaster capitalism with a, with an economic eugenics edge to it. It's uh, this thing about uh, about I am. Um, feeding kids it's there was a, a a piece written in 1995 or six i think it was you can find it easily it's called um eugenics economics for the long run and it talks about in there how they they're going to repress people through poverty and then start talking about what kids can be born and into what families and all this sort of thing. It is, it is literally, we're being put through a eugenics program by economic extremists. That's what all of this is. Well, yeah, there's, there's definitely a, a certain malicious ideology that underpins all of this. And I think this is capitalism. Why, well, yeah, we, we, a, we, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a cannibalistic capitalism. Again, there, there are, well, I'm, not, I'm not, not not to defend capitalism, but the the on, the principle on paper that if you actually don't allow there to be uh, knots in the system, then the liquidity, the cash flow can move through it. The issue that we've got at the minute is we 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 talk about a minimum wage, but we don't talk about a maximum wage. Where? Whereas as you've always said about cannabis, is it's a, it's a capitalist resource with a socialist agenda. So this is something else I wanted to sort of move on to is that. Where do, where do you see a post-prohibition paradigm now, gentlemen? Because as I said to you yesterday, Trev, I'm not quite sure what the world looks like when the war is over. I've been fighting this my whole goddamn life. All I've ever known is that this moment needs to arise. And if we're saying that with the release of this document and it, it then arriving at the desks of these individuals that are then legally informed and have to act upon this without facing further recrimination, what does that world look like? I think For it's me, I... simple, really. Um, you know, there's, you know, I, I come from regulation. Uh, you know, I, I was the compliance director for the Cannabis Trades Association for three years. Um, so I was heavily involved in, in regulation. I was also the compliance director for Trust Canna, which no longer exists, unfortunately. But that was the regulatory, intended to be the regulatory body for all cannabis products, CBD products, uh, recreational, medicinal, even a provision for grow your own. And it, it kind of put together the framework for that. Um, you know, the, the, the issue is whatever you sell into the market has to be regulated to a certain degree, whether it's a food or, or whatever. 
Um, cannabis has to have its own classification, though. This is the problem that you've seen within the CBD industry, where you've got the FSA and the MHRA both throwing this hot potato between each other because none of them want to touch it. And that's because it doesn't fit into the food category perfectly. It doesn't fit into medicine. It's both. But really, you need to look at cannabinoids. It needs to be regulated similar to vitamins and minerals. It's an essential thing that we need for life. You know, we need our endocannabinoid system functioning properly to be able to live life and avoid disease. So I would like to see it as its own classification, a regulated market um, where, you know, you have dispensaries, you have places you can go where you can uh, utilize it. Uh, it, it's hard to say everybody's going to have their own opinion and different opinions on this. Uh, but, you know, I think what we're fo focusing on really at the minute is just to get get rid of the nonsense with prohibition. You know, get 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 rid of the 1971 Misuse of Drugs Act completely, you know. Uh, and then we've already got an industry, a cannabis industry, as far as all, all you're doing is adding THC, really. So, you know, we've already got the industry there. There's not much to work on it. Just evolve. For, for me, it's actually, uh, you, know, you see Evolve, it's, for me, it, it's a little bit of regression as well. Because well, we've already had a glimpse of that world. I mean, we built it. Everywhere we went, the British Merchant Navy and the Henry VIII carried a cargo of hemp seed wherever they went. Now, we talk about, when I say hemp, we, I'm not talking about the 0.2% stuff that came around in the 60s. I'm talking, all of it would have been high THC stuff. Every single colony in the British in the British Empire was a resource-based economy with a foundation stone of cannabis, and this is this is how we built the world. This is how it, nowadays with a kind of technological. A little bit of technological difficulties. Um, we're back and running, people. Um, I believe we were talking about technology. I just thanked Guy for, for letting me uh, obviously be introduced <laughs> to a kind of a supercapacitor. Um, so, yeah, with, with, with that in mind, sort of where do you see the future of, of technology? Feel free to go as, as wildly Star Trek as you want here. Theorize yeah, I as mean much as you can based on, on the actual knowledge, though, obviously. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I've, as, as the chairman of Hemp Tank as well, um, I've been preaching for years when I've been going around to events. And, you know, one of the things I've been talking about the last couple of years, uh, and I've been talking with Extinction Rebellion and all sorts of different organisations, that if we were to get a bit of investment and get rid of the licensing and restrictions around the industrial applications of cannabis, I reckon that we could mitigate 80% of all of our carbon emissions in 10 years. You know, they're talking about the government are talking about 2050. It's not, it's, it's you know, it's, it's way too far into the future. You know, uh, we need to do things now. And so, you know, it's not, so actually the prohibition of cannabis isn't just saving our health. It's also saving our environment, saving all of us and saving our economy because this could create a whole green industrial revolution. And the main concept I look at is hempcrete houses are carbon negative. You know, you save about 40% on heating bills over the lifetime of the building, which is huge. You can then use these graphene technologies for uh, power generation, for power storage. 
uh, off-grid and microgrid systems and get rid of the national grid altogether. And we could, you know, run these houses and buildings on, on this technology. And then you've got this new technologies coming out as well for um, fueling cars and vehicles and aeroplanes. Uh, we've got that lad Michael in um, Birmingham University at the minute is doing a big project and he's found a way that you can make all these different biofuels, uh, which is amazing. Uh, you know, combine all these together and soil restoration using biochar and actually like improving our soil, soil and their food security for future generations. This is massive. This is exactly what the government need right now. And they haven't got any idea of what to do. And it's there. Well, you know, I, I, I can have a meeting with them and tell them all of this technology and, you know, throw in a few million pounds funding and we can set up the infrastructure straight away. Now, now, you see, I'm going to I'm going to half disagree with you there. Now, just on Quite just on that single point, just on that single point about having the government actually listen to this that they don't know about this, because they do. Now, some as you said, let's go proper Star Trek future, right? For me, that foundation is already happening. Now, in graphene, the in China, you've already got a quantum computer which is sending atoms from Earth up to a satellite in space using another, com uh, uh, another quantum computer at the other end. Now, the way you create quantum computer chips is simply one layer of graphene on top of another. It's called bilayer graphene. That, uh, that is the foundations of your Star Trek future happening right now from a resource that's only $500 per tonne. Now, the guy who's just yeah, the, the government don't know about this, they do. They've put 200 million into the National Graphene Institute in Manchester just over the last few years. It was George Osborne that did it. Part of that, the Northern Powerhouse. Uh, yeah, it's part of the Northern Powerhouse. That was, that was um, the concept of Lord O'Neill of Gately. The, 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 um, the National Graphene Institute is 10 miles from Barton Moss, 35 miles from, Pre from Preston New Road, both of which are fracking sites. And uh, I mean, for us in the Northeast, we've got um, applied graphene materials right next to a power station, uh, a biomass power station down in Teesside, which is a stone's throw away from Teesside Cannabis Club. And just up the road here in Durham, you've got Thomas Swan, which is an international distributor of graphene. And you've got um, the Heal and Cauldron down in Cockburn, which is a CBD company. You've got you've got all of this happening. You've got you've got the flowers and everything else already happening. You've got you've literally got industrial, medicinal, and recreational in the northeast. Mm -hmm. so it's just not being exploited properly. Wait. It's because when it comes to graphene, we're using coal instead of the sticks and stems that the likes of the Heal and Cauldron and TSA Cannabis Club are throwing away as waste. Well, I think this is another thing that, whether through intention or not. Um, information informs us and gives us different uh, outcomes regardless of the intent of the author. I think one of the things that I took from this document, um, as you were saying before about the government kind of not knowing, I think they not only know, they are very aware that it was prohibition that has led us to this position. It was a, a cabal of, of individuals like William Randolph Hearst, uh, the DuPont family, the Rockefellers, yeah. 
Absolutely. Uh, so it, was, it was cotton, it was copper, it was paper, and it was oil that then benefited most from this. And then obviously with, with plastics, petroleum-based plastics over plant polymers, which we obviously know are far stronger. There are obviously a few issues that we have around carbonated beverages and things like that, that it means that we're not up to a mass scalable position. Right. But so what, what, what happened was in 1937, Harry Ansling, I sat in a court in, a, in some place in America, I don't know the details, and said, um, one marijuana would make white women want to sleep with black and Latino jazz musicians. That, that, that one court case founded the era of death-based scarcity, which is what we all live under right now, which is why all these like medicinal cannabis companies can be charging 400 nod quids per odds, because legal weed is very, very rare. But regular weed off the streets is 200 pound an odds. It's simple. It's simple economics. It's all economics. This is why. This is why it's the economic extremism of debt-based scarcity that was founded in prohibition is what has led us to where we are now. So then, it is something that obviously I imagine most of us in this um, in this podcast have, have discussed individually and have discussed together. Um, the. <laughs> the end is here then if the end is is truly here all of this begins to come to fruition but you've got to think of the opposition that we're going to meet these people are trillionaires the industries that they support have been in power for so long they're lobbyists you look at the biggest lobbyists in the land they, you can't they, they're all history. industries that are i know you can't change history but however, however, whoever it's what is it possessions nine tenths of the law and they own yeah. everything right now. Yeah, exactly. And all of that is contracted. All of that is contracted. Yeah? Mm-hmm. There are, there's a paper trail for every single bit of it. All of which leads right back to 1937 and that one court case. So then, if we were to look at this, we've discussed this a few times of how do we uh, sort of deal with this as a society moving forward. Now, I've often pitched the idea of a Truth and Reconciliation Committee in the same way that we had... Uh, after apartheid in South Africa. And I think you've obviously discussed the idea of we need a Nuremberg-style trial. I think ultimately, if we then really look at this, the heads of these industries, if we're going to actually hold people accountable for the mass extinction of species, for the, the rising water levels, for the rising temperature, if we're actually going to hold these industries accountable, that's going to have to happen internationally. This, this is potentially an opportunity for a true some form of true global cohesion because we'll start to recognize it. COVID this year has shown us that the globalism doesn't fucking work. You cannot pick your grapes in Australia, fly them in Peru, pack them and sell them in the UK. That just isn't working logistically anymore. It's no, not, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Why do you need to do that? If, you, if you've got a crop like weed, you can be, I mean, you can be producing anti, uh, antibacterial graphene packaging or paper packaging, paper, uh, um, plastic packaging, in country and send it off to wherever. Well, the wonderful thing is if we talk, if we then spoke of, say, graphene batteries being applied to renewable energy, then we theoretically have a point of unlimited energy. Um, if that was the case, we could domestically use technology that we know, including cannabis, uh, mycelium, and other um, renewable building materials to create uh, grow sites to grow basically anything, and it wouldn't cost us a penny. Well, exactly. So, so, yeah, exactly. This is what I'm talking about. We get back to the way we did things with the British Empire. Everything is a resource-based economy with a foundation stone of cannabis everywhere for every country. 
But that basically then makes every country have the opportunity for independence. You've got to think that the control paradigm of the West and the uh, pervading racial uh, prejudices of the Western world is going to come to an end then, because if we don't need to exploit developing nations for their minerals, for, for things that we can derive out of other materials, far more renewable materials, this then again changes the paradigm because it will stop our, our need to keep them shackled. But then again, our governments are not going to want to allow other nations to rise to challenge them. I mean, it's basically then well, going to be a case of who's got the largest amount of land, grows the largest amount of weed, they win. <laughs> right, well, you've just got to made my, uh, you've just gone made my argument from what I said before, that they are economic extremists. I think the way I see it, this is the beginning of a revolution, you know, I mean, if you look at the conspiracy behind cannabis, it's the biggest conspiracy in history. It's called caused mass genocide and mm -hmm. mass ecocide for almost a century. It's given all of the, the minority, the money and the power and taken it all away from us and made us slaves, you know. This has to stop. And I think, you know, the, the tagline for Seed Our Future is truth is our sword, unity our shield. We're using the truth, we're exposing the truth, and we just need enough people to get behind this and expose that truth, and we can make ripples across the ponds. So how can you know? people get involved then? Uh, that, sorry, sorry, for somebody that like might come stumble across this and, and is just warming up to the idea that, that you've all put out here, like how can people just start to get involved with, with the seed of future? Uh, join our social media is the first key, you know, like join our Facebook group, uh, we're on Instagram, Twitter, um, you know, get involved, we're, we're doing things, we involve, we involve everybody in the group, you know, we don't just, there's not just a small team of us who do this, we, we let everybody get involved, everybody's been helping, like sending, in the last couple of days, they've been sending media contacts for, for us to email, um, so, you know, get involved, I mean, we've been talking to people you know, in the States, in Canada, um, I think we have someone from Belgium, someone from India today, you know, it, it's going international. And, if, and, and the thing with this document is it can be replicated, although it talks about the 1971 Misuse of Drugs Act and the UK law, it, it's all based on, you know, the 1961 uh, Schedule 1, which is un, un, universal. You know, that this can be replicated anywhere in the world. We could have decriminalization globally. And, and expose the government, expose the UN, expose the corporations who are the main uh, people we need to be uh, stopping here. Mm -hmm. Right. Just, just, Again, though, just to throw a... Uh, Good. Well, what I was going to do just before you, before you continue there, mate, was uh, I have a little browser open here that's showing. This is uh, seedourfuture.co.uk for, for those that can see the video. I mean, you, you guys can't see this, right? But I'm just showing, showing them the website and just going to just uh, scroll down so you can see it. But it'll have all the information that is, is there. Are there um, social media links on your on, on this uh, webpage as well? The website, not yet. No, I'm, I'm not very technical. So, no, no, that's all right. <laughs> you know how to yeah, add it. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Hey, you want the help. Yeah, no, not a bother, not a bother. I can give you a hand, not, no problem at all. So what I'll do actually um, is I'll pop um, some of these links in post and then you can you can see some of the social media in. Um, maybe they'll pop up here or here or here. No, I'm, I'm only joking, I'm not going to do any of that. We'll also, we'll, also um, we'll link it all in the bio as well. And uh, yeah. for people who don't know, obviously, 
today as well, we launched the, uh, the Simple Life website. So on the resources section, you'll also find a link to Seed Our Future. There's also a blog post that I've put up there today uh, where you can download this document that we are talking about right now, along with the wonderfully written press release and the, um, I almost want to say mafiosa-style letter that has been sent to the police, but I don't mean <laughs> that. I mean, the, the subtext, the subtext is, is, is beautiful. You know, I mean, it, it is so concise and it literally gives them no wiggle room and it informs them that there is no going back now. Here is the goddamn truth. You are the lowest hanging fruit. Rally in this moment to the politicians and save your own goddamn skin because if you don't, we're coming for you. Me and Trevor have discussed this idea openly for years now. Cannabis PPI. Can you talk a little bit, guys, about the potential for this of what then comes when we've proven that they've committed the world's largest and most protracted conspiracy against us when we their terroristic tactics. I can tell you right now it's already happening because in the States we're expunging records all the way back to the 70s. They're, um, they're reimbursing fines and confiscations. They're giving compensation for time inside. And because they've got nobody who can do the jobs as well as the people that they've criminalised, those people are now making hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and the um, the workforce has increased by two hundred fifty thousand since legalisation. Criminal records becoming CVs. Yeah, exactly. The, the great thing is, um, if, if we take the responsible people uh, to a court, it would be a civil court, and with the civil court, you only need fifty-one percent uh, probability, uh, which is easy to do especially with all the, the evidence that we have, which counteracts the very lack of evidence that they have. So if, if we were to take the police or anybody in the government or a PCC or an MP, it, it, we don't know quite how it's going to work yet. We're developing a document at the minute, uh, which we hope to have released in the next couple of weeks, which will actually instruct people what to do if they get arrested for a cannabis offence. Um, how to deal with the police and in, in, if they get taken to a police uh, station, but also how to represent themselves in a criminal court, uh, so pleading not guilty and actually challenging the charges. Uh, there's going to be another document which will come out as well on how to actually seek reparations. Um, and there's going to be an organisation set up to support people through that process uh, at an affordable rate so that, you know, we can start seeking reparations. You know, we don't want to be seeking reparations for, I think it says in the document, actually, that, you know, we're not looking to go for organized criminals or people who are violent or, you know, cause, causing all sorts of menace. You know, we, we want to be helping people who otherwise, uh, you know, you know, not wouldn't be in the ju uh, judicial system, you know, just for possession of cannabis or growing their own. Yeah, I benefit. There was something that you said before about people getting involved. People can use this report if they get busted. The more people who use this when they get busted is the best thing that can happen. Yeah, and yeah, just a little disclaimer there, though, that this isn't written by a lawyer, and uh, we don't, um, you know, if you use it in your defence, we're not, we're not we're responsible. So it's yeah, it's, it's it's used it's used in discretion, obviously. For all we've discussed, that someone has used an aspect of this in their acquittal. Um, no one has taken this document in its entirety into a courtroom and had a full full acquittal. What we have had in the past is people take elements of this. Um, I'm not going to name the individuals, but it's a couple from Carlisle around medibles mm. used a part of this to the point that the CPS 
uh, refused to prosecute. They were threatening them at first, tried threatened them till the 11th hour, and then basically said that, yeah, we can't do this. So <laughs> what, what, what I want most for people to take away from this is there is a way out of this. You will be pressured, you will be threatened. They will nicely nice you and then they will vicious you. And they will push you into a position of thinking that signing a piece of paper, declaring that you have done something wrong is your only way out of that room. It is not. Be strong, be brave and, and actually challenge it. If you can afford legal representation, take legal representation. Yeah. You, you, we shouldn't be taking this on the chin anymore. Like I said, millions it's before. Fraud. It's, a, it's, a cr it's a criminal conspiracy of fraud and terrorism, and the legislation says so. Yeah, as is well evidenced by this. So once again, I'd like to draw attention to the fact you can download this document in a link that I will have provided in the description below. So, I mean... Maka. Yeah, I guess I had a couple of questions. So, sorry? I was just leading you in. Oh, right, and I just completely fucked it up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Good lad. Right, no, so I guess if, say, the tried and tested political play, to use a sort of sporting analogy, is to sort of not dither and delay, but sort of sidestep and just ignore things and push it to the side, which is what is happening. I mean, that's what you mentioned, Guy, with, with the rescheduling of, of the votes and, and, you know, the restructuring and stuff like that. So I guess my question would be, uh, how, would, how would we go about combating that? Now, I'm putting you under a small bit of pressure there because you mightn't have th those answers yet. But you can imagine, I mean, as I've said, this is test tried and tested. It's been happening for fucking decades right um so i mean what's to stop them using that against us again going forward you know what i mean does that make sense there's, i think it does but can i just quickly simplify it just, yeah you can just to translate back there yeah um no it's all good i think um so asking what happens if these just literally lands on the desk and they just kick it down the road kick yeah. it down the road yeah, kick it, oh we'll look at it in six months oh it's too important the economy is too important this exactly. is too important we do we have, i mean it's strategy at that point yeah, especially the police can't, I mean, they can ignore it. I mean, you know, we've sent out emails to every PCC and uh, police chief um, in the UK. Um, they can just put that in a pile somewhere in, 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 a, in a cupboard and ignore it. But the thing is, we've got read receipts um, from the emails that prove that they've, um, it's been served to them. You know, they, they've got to pay attention to that and they're responsible for their team. So if they come across some evidence that actually their police officers are breaking the law by enforcing these laws, they're ultimately responsible. It's them that are going to have the head uh, on the block, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, they, they, they can't ignore it. They have to read it. It's it's evident. You know, I mean, we got a response from the Home Office, which, which was just laughable when we asked for the evidence. They didn't have any. It was just all hearsay. Just absolute rubbish, you know? Oh, somebody said this. It's like, well, <laughs> you're really going to base all, the, all your case on that? You know, and yeah. once we get more precedents on this, uh, you know, it, it, it's just a domino effect. In, in, a, in essence, this is a big game of chess. And, you know, I think we're in check at the minute. Ooh. Yeah. So, so just to clarify for any like listeners that. or viewers, uh, it's good. Yeah. 
Um, just to clarify for any listeners or viewers, um, what Guy is speaking of there with the Home Office response is actually prior to this document, a freedom of information request was sent to the Home Office, the Crown Prosecution Service, and the 43 PCCs around the country? Yeah, 42 PCCs and um, also uh, the ACMD as well, which we haven't had a response from. Uh, the, uh, the Advisory Council on the Missing of Drugs who actually are the scientists who collect all the signs that they haven't got. The impartial uh, organization that is not allowed to be impartial. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So obviously, yeah, the freedom of information requests came back. Every single one of these institutions said that they do not hold it or have access to it. Um, as we've said that in the documents that is again available in the link below, um, you you can decipher for yourself and, and see the evidence and the the I suppose to use guys analogy that the domino effect that has happened from a bunch of bigots and racists and capitalists wanting to control this thing leading to generations of, of warfare across the entire face of the world. Yeah, then we had the, the, the prohibition and the war on drugs uh, um, feed the war on terror through resource wars across the world. Very true. A little shameless plug here on the simplelife.com in the blog section. I actually have an article about uh, cannabis prohibition <laughs> and terrorism. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I kind of wait till you do the one on the WHO report. That, that thing is just funny as hell. Like. Yeah, I've, that I've, was I've, one of the funniest documents I've ever come across. I, I, I must admit, I nearly wet myself when I found that. It was no, the, pure, pure chance that I found it. The, the, the mentality of the day shines through in that. It's an absolute, it's gold if you go to court with that. Like. Could, could you uh, allude for the listeners and viewers um, right. to some of no, the right. points in it? Right. And, and the only one that, that sticks with us all of the time is page eight. Page eight of this article, so it's done by an Egyptian doctor who talks about how the Mohammedans would turn to abuse of cannabis to get euphoric feelings because of uh, an unsatisfactory sex life due to practicing female circumcision because the women couldn't get as sexually excited. So that led to cannabis abuse. That's page eight. I wonder where yeah. that stood out. It just—it was just laughable. I mean, for me, yeah. I mean, it's a um, for me, it's actually evidence of medical use. It's antidepressant use. So I'm, this... I'm getting high because I'm fed up with not getting any days home, which yeah. a lot of us do. <laughs> the... What I found interesting about the document was it actually referenced uh, Aslinger um, in his book. Uh, which was around the same sort of period, and uh, you know, and it was it was reefer madness in a document. But this mm -hmm. is a World Health Organization document, you know, a few years before the 1961 Drugs Convention, which classified it as a Schedule One globally. You know, mm -hmm. it's based on this rubbish, saying it turns you, you know, you one spliff and you'll go out and kill your brother. It's we, yeah, it comes comes from a time obviously. Anslinger actually, uh, shout out to Johan Hari who I do really hope to be a future guest at some point in the, in the, the near future. Mm. He wrote the book, Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs, a brilliant account of the history of prohibition. And he shows um, a history of basically Anslinger wasn't anti-cannabis. He thought cannabis was benign. It was just 
just a pointless thing. It wasn't on his goddamn radar. It wasn't until the uh, agency that, pro that preceded um, the DEA was then threatened with a loss of funding that they suddenly needed a new enemy and a new scapegoat. They needed a new way prior, this is way before uh, John Ehrlichman and the quote from Nixon era, they needed a new way to demonize certain classes and certain groups and to be able to continue that social control. So it's, it's the, the history of this is, is unbelievably long and extensive, but yeah, Harry J. Anslinger is one of the, uh, the main cornerstones, I suppose, of modern prohibition, um, inconsequentially. And I think he just, he was a good showman. Do you know what I mean? And when they compiled the, what they called the Gore Files, uh, which was the first sort of Reef of Madness Tales, and it was just like uh, red top press or yellow top press, I suppose it was over there, sort of back, back page stories about, you know, things that usually end up in like um, as UFO stories and shit, that kind of stuff, and they just put these slants on it. And then they took really benign crimes and they took them way out of context and then applied this this racial profiling through drug use to it. And then that sort of laid the foundation um, for basically bigoted individuals to relay ideas over evidence. So this, I believe the, uh, the gentleman that the, the, the made the statements that became into the 55 report did so at the second or the updated opium conventions. So again, it wasn't even scheduled to be, to be communicated. It was literally just a bigoted individual voicing their opinion to a room of other bigots who went, oh, he's got a point. And, and then we've just built it time after time of that, of other bigots and idiots that are so out of touch and never don't understand that the vast majority of people who take drugs, about 90% across all substances, World Health Organization on statistics, uh, do so non-problematically. And the majority of those in the minority do so when they are caught, when they're caught up in the chains and the shackles that have been built around this system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you're not wrong. You think, as you were saying about uh, this takes us back to the thing about cannabis PPI. You think about it, there's 50 years of convictions. 50 years. How many people has that? Tens of thousands a year, all who have got, and where there's, clear, where there's blame, there's a claim. <laughs> I can now, see the ads on the telly now, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I cannot wait until we have got police officers in the dock. Because then we can we can run them down. Where's your due diligence? Why blah blah blah? Yeah. We've got all the questions. Well, you, we can tell we can tell them all new assholes. You raise an interesting point when we've discussed this over the past several weeks and months um, of the idea of the Nuremberg Protocols. Could you uh, enlighten our listeners and viewers as to right. where well, the the um, Nuremberg Protocols basically say that. Following superior orders doesn't absolve you of a crime. You know, I mean, they all from their side. You, you always hear a couple of things. One is that it, um, they don't make the rules, just enforce them. You know, that's, that's an admission of following superior orders. You know, if you look in the reason we had the Nuremberg trials was because. 20 million people were slaughtered in concentration camps. We promised never, ever to do that again. The only people who actually went to firing squads were the people at the bottom. The ones who passed out the orders, they all got away with it. They all went off on like Operation Paperclip and all the rest of it. 
unless the lads at the bottom actually start changing things now, they're all complicit. It's as simple as that. And the criminal cons- the criminal act nineteen seventy seven shows that. Well, it's, it's interesting that we've noted that the way they've uh, established the lower ranks of the police is effectively to make them individual corporations. They're yeah, exactly. Not... Page one of the police federation, every, every officer is an independent legal entity. This means that they have to do their job bang on. If they don't, that leaves them, them open personally to civil action. So the the combination of them failing to do their due diligence is a violation also within the Nuremberg Protocols, which yeah. then in and of itself, as we've discussed, is uh, misconduct in public public office. And because they're then, as part of their institution, there's more than two of them constituting a conspiracy. So could you um, sort of speak a bit more about the processes, the, the charges that could be levied against the police, potentially? Well, it's quite... Well, yeah, the first one, um, I would say, uh, the Theft Act 1968 for blackmail says uh, it says it's an unwarranted demand with, uh, for money with threats and menaces. So, yeah, somebody one of them turns and says, class B drug, that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, they're making an unwarranted demand for money with threats and menaces. But far worse than that is the terrorism charge. Because the John Ehrlichman quote, which I can't remember offhand right now, but basically at the end of it, he says, did we know about, we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. It's, it's That one quote is criminal conspiracy, fraud and terrorism. That puts every single cop right across the land, right across the world, in a position of misconduct in public office. Again, you go back to that first that, that first case for prohibition, 1937, um, the Crime and Disorder Act, 19, uh, 1988 or 1998, whichever it is, I cannot remember. Um, that's the one that prohibits racial harassment. Now, again, uh, what Harry Anzinger said in court would never pass nowadays. Why on? For me, my background, I'm an MOD contractor. I, every, um, I know the, the value of terms and conditions of employment. This is why I went to the attestation, which is their public duties. If we don't hold them to account now, it's going to be too late before too long because our, our, our world simply can't take this anymore. I mean, we're already in thermohaline shutdown. I, I think I'm genuinely it, I think it is about the future. Yeah, I think it is important, though, to note that we're not wanting to drag every police officer who's ever arrested anyone since 1971 through the criminal courts for terrorism. And No, 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 yeah. but, but they but, are open to civil claim. They are. Uh, I mean, I think really it's the government who have put these laws in place. And even though they've been you know, subject to investigations which have shown that the classification system is not fit for purpose and that it's, there's no scientific evidence. And, you know, the Home Secretary was supposed to uh, review the whole system back in 2006 and it never happened 15 years ago. But the thing is, that's what this, is great about this report, this document, because what we're doing, as I said before, is we're serving it to the police and giving them the responsibility, the ability to respond, 
you know, once we've done their due diligence for them and we've demonstrated, look, here's the evidence. There isn't any evidence. You know, you can now make a decision. Anyone who from, from now who arrests anyone for these sort of crimes, I mean, you look at, I'm sure you won't mind me mentioning his name, but Philip, um, um, Anthony Bevington uh, from Cornwall, the 80-year-old gentleman who's in court in a, in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I mean, an eight-year-old man with stage three kidney disease gets basically his door almost kicked in and threatened to get his door kicked in in the middle of the night. He's had his medicine taken away for nine months. He's had amazing amount of stress and depression from it. Um, and, you know, he, he's, he's gone to stage four. Luckily, he's starting to go back the right way, but, you know, it could have killed him. You know, that's so the, murder. And that kind of police officer I would drag through the courts. But, you well, know, generally, I think we need to give him the benefit of the doubt, yeah. read the report, and then respond. But there's something else to just to, to keep in mind as well is that it's another institution that is set up to, and I'm speaking very loose here because I'm not a police officer, I don't know the, the information down to a T. But, like... It, it, any any of these institutions have this sort of uh, individualized punishment um, yeah, every, all of them but that's what I'm saying all of them the, the, that's the way the system is set up it's yeah. always the last man standing yeah. who gets it yeah exactly my point so you're going to have an awful lot of like say police officers if there are any of them that are listening to this that feel like well what the fuck do I do like do you know that kind of way? if I'm the only fucking one in my in my whole um, group can't remember the terminology um then like w w where does that leave me you know, kind of kind of a thing so uh, it's, it's very important for us to to sort of say yes you are liable and stuff like that but what we really want is for you to actually have the conversations and have them um like together so that you can form a collective decision and push it through your whatever barriers you might be play that, that might be placed on an individual person within that system that makes sense. That's a bit of a rant. It does. Yeah, I think I think you know the, the police. What a lot of people don't realise is each police officer is legally responsible for their own actions. You know um, that they have to follow their own due process, do their own due diligence, and decide whether to enforce or not. And that's based on their due diligence and whether you know they have the evidence and they think right the right thing to do is to enforce this and arrest this person. Once they had access to this document there's no way that they should even consider enforcing it and and you know this is why i've started from the top of the ranks the pccs and they need to disseminate that down to every rank every pc should have a copy of this yeah. and read it and then you know there's, there's no any police officer shouldn't in their right mind enforce it from I'll, I'll tell you exactly why i don't think any police officer in his right mind should enforce it it's because the police are getting shafted harder than anybody else. <coughs> now, they're contributing towards their own pay cuts. Now, sorry, I'm going to start. I'm going to start at another point here. In 2014, David Cameron and George Osborne added the black market for sex and drugs to the economy. The value of that market is 10 billion pounds. Now, obviously, the people who work in the black market tend not to pay taxes, so the disenfranchised accountant work. What they did was to treat it like car insurance payments. Everybody who drives accepts that they pay a certain amount of their premium for uninsured drivers. Everybody who's working 
is now pays a certain amount of their income tax for the black market. Now, if either any of you remember back a few years ago about the big furore over the 1.7 billion that was going to the EU, that was their share of the black market for sex and drugs. Now, the police, as I say, they're getting shafted harder than anybody else. They're contributing towards their own pay cut through a rising council taxes to go out and repress a multi-billion pound industry that each and every one of them are paying taxes on. That is mental. <laughs> they are getting shafted, properly shafted. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, yeah, I think that brings us on to to uh, to another really good point that I think Maka kind of alluded to in his question as well, is that we kind of have to offer an olive branch here at some point. For all we have been repressed, for all we still sat, sit here, the four of us, they could take any of our doors off right now, drag us off into a cage, just for probably the contents of one of our grinders right now. Bring it on, because I'm looking forward to the combo package. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but so That's why I do this. I know, but with, That's why yeah. I'm so blatant. But with that in mind, like I, w I still want to live in a post- prohibition paradigm i want to live peacefully in this world i did not come to this war as a soldier i was made an enemy combatant by the state they chose to take a warfare against me for the way that i express my individuality but even but I, even still i think there, there needs to be a way so what yeah. about what about an idea of all right if we, we can show this what about we get the police to go after the mps we get the two biggest obstacles that take each other the hell out because if the cops are then going we're, we're all liable and we go you know the law, you have a duty of care to enforce the law, here's the evidence to prosecute it, who's responsible currently? Let's have a look. Ooh, Home Secretary. Look at the, the MPs that are directly, legally, because of their appointment, responsible for this, and we challenge them in their position directly. We take this less about an ad hominem attack on any one individual and it's an attack on the institution because they don't consider us individuals. They come for us and they mark us as statistics. As Guy's already said, and as Guy's strategy, remember, remember the 5th of November. That's when all of the MPs get this. Truth, unity and pot. I, I, I did say this yeah, earlier. Uh, you know, this is the strategy. You know, uh, the, the police are the low-hanging fruit. We're, we're, we're basically, all, we're, we're not going after the police. You know, they might think we are, but we're, we're, we're wanting a discretionary decriminalisation by the police. We just want them to stop enforcing. That makes it harder for the government. It's the government that we're after especially the Home Secretary, the ACMD, the Home Office, you know, they're the people who are responsible. They're the ones who are lying blatantly. You know, every time somebody sends a letter to their MP regarding cannabis, they get back this generic response saying, you know, there's clear scientific evidence of harm. And, and there's not. You know, they're lying. They're blatantly lying to the public. They're blatantly lying. But they, they have the ones who... Well, the, the, this, is, the, this, this is why you were, you were perfect to do that report, Guy. Your job is compliance. That's exactly what you did. You did the compliance on the case. Mm. And you did it beautifully, I've got to say, man. <laughs> <laughs> agreed. 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 Um, so then... We'll obviously have another discussion in the future to discuss what other steps are coming. Um, we'll keep certain things under, under certain hats right now. Um, but can you allude to what the future is for Seed Our Future? You've, you've planted the seeds, you've germinated. What should we expect in vegetation? Um, well, as I said, yeah, there's the next stage, which is uh, Parliament, and um, and then this document which will come out, which will help people to be able to represent themselves and uh, 
you know, um, not have so much fear in this world. Um, beyond that, I don't know really. I kind of got into this. As, <laughs> um, yeah, I I'd like to retire sometime. <laughs> yeah, me as well. I live quite a simple life in the countryside, and you know, I'd like to just be able to chill a little bit. It's been a very stressful year, but. No, we've got we've got to keep going. I think we're going to be looking at other drugs, uh, full reform. Uh, myself and Steve did have a meeting last week with uh, Tommy Shepherd, the MP who's doing this drug reform bill. Uh, so we might maybe jump on that and support that. Um, and then there's all sorts of atrocities happening within government. How many other laws are there that are based on complete bullshit? You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's exactly. So maybe it's something that we can investigate. We can maybe branch out that way. I I really don't know. Especially when we're when we're relying on the Nuremberg Accords. Mm. Going to be very interesting to see what happens when potentially somewhere in the estimate of five to ten million cannabis consumers in the UK suddenly can live without fear. Can you imagine the innovation? Can you imagine the art? Can you imagine the the work? Can you imagine the the, the advancements we will have socially, culturally, economically, in industri- industrially? This is this, the true revolution. I've always said is the evolution of consciousness, and cannabis and other psychedelic substances and other drugs and other currently prohibited things allow us to uh, alter our perception of reality and give us a wider view of a potential future that we can create every day with our actions. And I think that today has been a very fucking important day. Um, I think, honestly, this document is the culmination of many, many activists work from around the world. We've all, as I said earlier, we've, we've all fought this fight. And I think that we're at a point now where, as I said earlier uh, in a post on Facebook, that we finally have a weapon. We finally have a chance to defend ourselves. You think if for, for a century they've come at us for this, and for a century we've defended this plant. We, we've, we've dared to shout truth into, the, into their face when they've just spewed this vile and this bileless propaganda at us. And now they can't refute it anymore with the tools like this, with the internet, with social media, with, um, with the websites, and with, with the ability to, to literally send this document to all of these people instantaneously. It, we are at the crux of that revolution, Guy, and I want to thank you for for helping bring the people together that were part of this and the people that have contributed in ways they can't even imagine um, for doing this and bringing this together. Thanks. It's good to be part of it. And I can reiterate it now as well, that like a sincere thank you from uh, anybody that's even just thinking that all it is is hiding and having a little spliff in, in your house and and that's the level of involvement that you have that you know within this sort of industry we'll call it for for use of a better term but i guess go to the website seedourfuture.co.uk yeah and download this thing get your mates to read it you know, spread it around to everybody. Use it as seeds, I guess. Right? That's the that's the <laughs> one. That's the one thing. That's the one thing that you can do. It's a very simple thing. Get your mate to read it. One mate, just do it. There you go. That's my shit. Yeah, I, I would it. agree. <laughs> <laughs> do it, do it. Oh my days! Uh, right. So I saw Shia LaBeouf there, and was that Arnold Schwarzenegger trip? <laughs> no, uh, it starts being much my best, still. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> do it, do it, uh, do it. Oh yeah, yeah. Got you. Sorry, uh, that took me a minute. Um, 
Yeah, so I think we've, we've covered that quite concise. I want to leave a few of these points ambiguous because, like I said, we're going to revisit this uh, in the coming weeks and months because this is very much an ongoing project. Like I said, this is very much the kindling of the fire that shall light our way to freedom, people. Um, so do check out Seed Our Future. Uh, a little bit of a shameless plug now. Uh, obviously, we have launched the Simple Life website. Please do check it out. Uh, I've got a very extensive blog section that I will be compiling a lot more um, articles uh, in, the, in the coming days, weeks, and months. And we are obviously recording this episode that you'll see videoly. And later on in the future, people, you'll be hearing us on audio. Not if you keep st- fucking tapping the desk you want. Oh, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Wizard. Uh, so, yeah, uh, what can I say? But thank you very much to these wonderful gentlemen for giving me this time this evening. Thank you very much for all of your hard work. And um, yeah, please do like, share, subscribe, pass this around as much as possible. If you haven't already, give us a little like on Facebook or subscribe on YouTube, please. And um, yeah, get this document downloaded, get it learned and all power to you what is it you say guy uh, truth is your truth is our sword unity our shield there you go people Thank there you. you go so nice. yeah thanks again folks we are out of here take it easy guys cheers cheers nice. peace